I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello, and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. This week, I am so excited. We have Sabrina, another recovery story. I know that I've received a lot of messages and emails and calls asking for more recovery stories and more hope, especially as in the United States, we head into the holiday season here. So if you're looking for some hope, listen to all of Sabrina's episode, you will be inspired, motivated, and ready to get going in your own recovery journey. All right, everybody, what's up? Today we have Sabrina on the show, and Sabrina's going to share her recovery story with us. Hey, Sabrina. Hi, Rose. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, for sure. So I'm so excited to share your recovery story with the audience today. I know that a lot of people have been messaging me and wanting more recovery stories, wanting more hope. And I think that your story will provide them with exactly that. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about when you were diagnosed with BPD and kind of like what you know, what your journey has been through therapy and, you know, all that good stuff. Okay. So I was diagnosed with BPD when I was 29. So I was kind of a leap more. I was diagnosed right after I got married by my husband, actually, who (laughs) picked up on a lot of the behaviors and helped me understand why I was acting the way I was acting. Um, So yeah, that happened about six years ago. And over these past six years, I've worked with various therapists. Um, One of the therapists who was really helping me in my recovery passed away two years into our working together. Oh my gosh. So that was a huge setback for me in my journey and did not help with my severe abandonment issues, as you could imagine. Yeah, that sounds, um, that's awful to experience, especially if they, you had really clicked with that person and then all of a sudden, like they just, and they, that's a death. Wow. Yeah, it was awful. And it was a really horrible time in my life. He was really one of the only people who I was able to trust. And, um, as someone with BPD, like trust is not an easy, it's not an easy thing for me. So to, to lose that was, um, was really awful. But um, over time, I, I ended up working with another therapist and that went okay. Although she was the type that didn't really believe that I had BPD. So um, during that time, we focused more on family issues and I have plenty of those. So the focus was on kind of recovering from, from those elements of my life. And then most recently, I found you. Uh, I found you this past summer. And that's really when my recovery took off. Well, that's amazing. Okay, so let's pause for a minute before we talk about the recovery taking off and talk about the family issues that you had experienced growing up. Because I know that that's a, it's such a huge contributing factor to the development of borderline personality disorder. I mean, sure, you know, I do talk about us being born with this hyperbolic temperament, but there is that environmental piece. So if you would be willing to share some of that today that'd be awesome sure yeah so I come from a very dysfunctional family I have an alcoholic mother and a very um, psychologically abusive and controlling father and um, as the older child in the family I was put in an adult role at a very early age so I was never allowed to be a kid I was never allowed to do childlike things and explore and learn and have an imagination because I had to do things like make sure my mom wouldn't get in a car accident because she was drunk when she was picking my sister up from horseback riding as an example. So those are the kinds of things that just dominated my life as a kid. Um, So I think a lot of the issues that I've had as an adult with my like identity issues stem from that to start. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you had to be a parent. 
to this person who's supposed to parent you, right? Yeah. Not yeah. only that, but you... Parents are supposed to... Not only that, but in, you had to be a parent. You also had to be a, like, the person who's resolving this cri- these crises. I mean, that's huge to have to worry about her alcoholism and whether or not she's going to get into a car accident as a little kid, whether you'll ever see your sister again. I'm sure all the things going through your mind, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so parents are supposed to teach you how to become an adult, right? Right. How to live a happy, independent life. And I got just the opposite of all of that. Um, yeah. Some, something as an adult that um, has really affected my recovery is recognizing that, you know, while I was in this situation as a child, I had a father who was present, but never stepped in to protect me. But the messaging that I got from that father as an Italian protective father is, I'm here to protect you. I'm doing everything for you. And the exact opposite was actually happening. And it wasn't until I was a grown adult, like trying to put these two things together and understand, you know, no, like everything that my family told me they were doing, they weren't doing, they were doing the exact opposite. Absolutely. And then you learn to question yourself. So you don't trust adults. You don't trust yourself. You don't trust, you know, that everything is going to work out. All these things start happening and you just have anxiety about the world around you. And of course you don't trust yourself because you have these adults who are supposed to be taking care of you, telling you that they're taking care of you when you, I mean, children are so naive and simple it's beautiful right because you see as a child you see the world for exactly what it is so if an adult tells you i'm protecting you and then you watch your mother drive drunk and almost get in an accident to go pick up your sister then you don't know what to believe so you you have you question your own self you question your father you question your mother maybe you don't even question them because you have no idea, so you just think that you're you must be doing something wrong, and then that's kind of how you grow. How long did that go on for? What ages are you talking about? It, it was my whole life. It was until I was 28 when I met my husband and decided that I no longer wanted to be living this life, um, just being everybody's adult. You know, um, I. I met my husband and we got married really quickly. We got married um, five months after we met, which was a very unexpected thing for me. You know, I was always one of those girls who said, I'm never going to get married. I don't need a man. I'm going to be independent. I think that was probably a defense mechanism for a lot of the inner struggles that I had. And it was also an easy identity to rely on, right? Like I'm a feminist. It's like a packaged good. Like I could be a feminist. Right, because that so, the, the rules are already um, defined within that identity. That is amazing that you said that. Absolutely. When you latch on to something so strongly, the rules are already identified for you. So you don't really have to think outside the box, and all of your pain and all of your problem can get poured into that. Good point. Right, right. So in some ways, it was so positive for me, and in other ways, it just, like, fed the beast because... As a feminist, we're taught that, you know, as women, you can do anything you want to do, equal equal with men, you know, you fight for all of these things. And then there's this, like, weight that you carry that, like, I have to work harder, I have to suffer, which really was not good for me in my situation with my family, because I would take all of their responsibilities that weren't mine, you know, my mom's alcoholism, bringing her to rehab literally 30 times while I'm going to college and graduate school and working a full-time job. Um, wow. You know, dealing with my dad who uh, went to, well, he didn't go to jail. He was put on house arrest for tax evasion, which was like a huge threat to my family because he was a sole income earner. So like all of these things like fed into that feminist mentality of I could do it. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine to take care of my family. I want to self-sacrifice because that's what I should be doing. Right. Which is a really described view of feminism. Sure. Yeah. But that's absolutely many, many people. I'm sure a lot of people can relate because I've had many, many people fall into feminism and it's, 
you know, become not, you know, not traditional, like women should be, should have rights, right? Like Sabrina and I, I'll be clear and I'll speak for Sabrina. We believe women should have rights. It's the hyper, it's the hyperbole of that, that society often falls into now that if you have an identity crisis or you've never been able to develop an identity, then you have this, you know, your this ability to fall more deeply into something like feminism, and then you create this story about what it is, right? And that's what you were doing, kind of living out this hyperbolized version of feminism, and really, you were basically saying F you to the world. That's what it was, right? It's like, I'm gonna, I'll just do yeah. it myself. You can't take care of me. My father can't take care of my whole yes. family. So I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna do it in the name of feminism, right? That's it. Yep. That was me. That was me. I don't need therapy. Therapy's for other people. While I'm in school to be a social worker. I mean. (laughs) Okay. Right. Exactly. Therapy's for those other people. That was me. Okay. Yeah, right. 30 times. Excuse me. 30 times. That's impressive. Yeah. 30 times. And Mm -hmm. heartbreaking. And you had to do that that whole time. What about your sister? Was she, did she help you? Well, my sister, you know, I was the older sister, so I was protective and, you know, I was trained to kind of keep her out of it. And because I was the go-to for everything, she went off and did her own thing and has her own issues because of that. Um, Because she had a completely different, different experience than I had. But most of the time it was me, you know, it was me chasing my mom up and down highways, like making sure she wouldn't get in car accidents, sleeping outside of a hotel room while my mom, not a hotel, a motel, um, you know, while my mom was inside drinking, you know, trying to run away from her responsibilities for the 50th time that year. Um, You know, that was when I was 17, while my dad was at home watching a soccer game. You know, like things like that. Yeah. (laughs) It's awful. It's as if your dad saw and knew that she had BPD and then, or not that she had BPD formally, but that he knew she had an issue. Of course he knew that because she was an alcoholic. And he chose to allow you to deal with the issue that he married and he should have dealt with. That is just, yeah. Right. So that became your identity. So then what? Yeah. So tying it back to where I started with, um, you know, when the diagnosis came along around the time I got married, I brought all of that into my relationship with my husband. Like, that's who I thought I was, the person who had to take care of everything. So when we moved states and when, you know, he went off to law school and I was the sole income earner at the time, I all of that rage and resentment and anger that just festered all of those years that I never dealt with was projected onto him. And it was awful. My husband is a wonderful person and I was awful to him. I, I don't, I truly don't know how he stayed with me. Uh, recently I've accepted the fact that it's because I'm a good person and he saw that I was a good person and that's why he stayed with me. But it took me a really long time to accept that, to accept that, you know, you can do bad things to people and they can forgive you. And that's love. Yeah. Yeah. That love can be unconditional that other people, even though we have never received, especially in your case, you've never received unconditional love, that someone else has the capability to provide that to you for sure. What are some things that you were doing that was like BPD in the relationship? So I'd say um, the most obvious behaviors, like the most things, the things that were most troubling to relationship were my moods and my fits of rage. And I can't tell you what would spark them. It could be anything. It could be like dishes in the sink, or it could be him talking to a female friend, or it could be my flight being delayed two hours for work. I mean, like it could have been anything. And I would just get into these terrible moods now would be horrible to be around and those moods always turned into some sort of explosion some sort of rage episode and then it would end in just a a crying fit like just sadness and despair and i would just cry and cry and cry for hours 
because I knew what I was doing was wrong. Yeah. But I, I couldn't control it. I had like these feelings that I just, I didn't understand. I could not control. Um, and I just, I just let them overtake me. What was, how did he handle it then? He treated me the way that I was acting like a child. You know, he would say, this is not appropriate behavior, which would annoy the hell out of me. Like, <laughs> okay, say that's a BP person and see what they do. They rage more, right? you know, so I would rage more and he would just stay calm. I mean, there were times when I would instigate, it's almost like I wanted a reaction from him. So I would push and push and push, you know, I wanted him to match what I was feeling, like that intensity. Um, but he would treat me like a child. You know, I would want him to come chasing after me and he wouldn't because he's not going to reinforce that behavior. Yeah. Like, if you want to talk, we can talk as adults, but I'm not going to chase after you. If you leave the room, Sabrina, that means that you don't want to talk to me. So I'm not going to chase after you. That was not a concept I understood. No. Because my whole life, what did I do? I chased after my mom, right? Like my mom's drunk. My mom is upset about something and I'm just chasing after her. And that's love. Right. Exactly. I was just going to say that that exactly, that is exactly it. It's playing out these old patterns of behavior and, and you, that's all you were doing. And there's like a part of it is that like rescue fantasy, right? It's like, I'm going to make this elaborate exit and you're going to come follow me and, then <laughs> right. and I'm going to cry and then you're going to hold me and then we're going to make out and life is going to be great, you know? And like, that's it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> You know, male, female, whatever gender you identify with and you're out there listening, come on now. That's like a big BPT, BPD thing, right? The rescue story. <laughs> That's amazing yeah. that he was able to stay calm. But yeah, I mean, I would have the same reactions with Jay is very similar. So I would have the same reactions when Jay would do that with me. He would be like, that's just, people just don't act that way. <laughs> but what do you mean? Yeah. I act that way. <laughs> dare you say that about me do you see the things that I do in a day exactly <laughs> after everything I've done for you meanwhile like everything that we've right. done everything that we thought that we were doing for these people that we claimed that we love when we were in BPD brain didn't matter when we had an episode because the episodes are so horrible for them that it negates all of yes. that stuff right yeah okay so was he like get help or 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 i'm out like how did that no not at all the only thing he would say to me is i just want my wife to be happy and he would say it all the time and you know he'd say it when i was good too and i would hurt so bad because it's like i want to be good and i know the times when i am good but even then like still something feels off and i wanted to I wanted to be better, but I just didn't know how. And I was working really hard, you know, like a few years into our marriage, like I was getting into spirituality, which has been incredibly helpful and really like the path in my journey to you. Um, you know, I was doing all of these things to help myself, but it still wasn't enough. It wasn't until I found your podcast that it was really able to bring me over to the other side. That's awesome. Well, we can talk about... Um your spirituality and how you tie that into your recovery too I want to talk about that before we wrap up because I know that your spirituality looks different than mine which is incredible so you can offer that yes you know to the community so we'll mm -hmm. definitely talk about that um I do so tell me then like you're diagnosed with BPD and then you find me and then what yeah so at that point when I found you um I guess superficially or, or from the outside, it looked like I had an amazing life and I did have an amazing life. You know, I started a business somehow when all of this was going on and it was very successful. I traveled all over the country for work. I went to Europe multiple times a year on vacation. Um, I have a nice house and you know, my husband and I do fun things together, like check all the boxes. Like I had those all but I just felt so empty. And I remember when I signed up for that 15 minute, like free consult with you, you said, how could I help you? And I said, I just feel empty. Like I shouldn't feel empty because I have a fulfilling life. Like I've been through therapy. I've worked out my family issues. I know where my problems are, but there's nothing inside of me. And it's terrifying. Yeah. I would just, I remember like sitting in the shower, like 
that's always where I would cry. I would just like sit down and just cry and cry and cry because I was so lost. There was nothing there. Yeah, absolutely. Because you didn't, you still didn't have an identity, which is why you were so empty. You still didn't know who you were. I mean, you were married and you had all these things and you were doing all of these things, but there still wasn't this sense of, I am Sabrina, I can trust myself. This is, these are the things I like, these are the things I don't like, and I can take myself seriously, and I really can live for actual, the actually, you know, the purpose of life and feeling good about myself. So that was something that, that's something that causes that emptiness, right? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So then let's talk about recovery. What has recovery been like for you? What are the things that you and I have done together that have been impactful, et cetera, et cetera? (laughs) Yeah. So recovery for me has definitely not been linear. It's like two steps forward, one step back. Um, But I'd say like the most profound lesson I learned from you and the thing that really carried me over to the other side is learning to take myself seriously that I'm a serious person and I deserve on a daily basis to treat myself like the good person that I am so I'll give you an example today I was at the gym and I really wanted fish for dinner and I decided I was going to go to the grocery store to get fish but it's not like a quick decision. Maybe I'm the only BPD person that thinks these things, but in my mind, it's like, okay, I don't really wanna go. Like, should I go? I don't wanna go. It's raining, it's cold, I don't really wanna go. But if I called my husband and said, do you need me to pick up anything on the way home? I would literally go to six different grocery stores to get him the exact brand of bread that he wanted. Absolutely. But when I left the gym today, I said, I want fish, I'm going to get fish. And I have these conversations in my head all the time. It's like, these are the things you need to do for yourself, Sabrina. You want fish, so that means you have to go to the grocery store and get it so you could go home and eat what you want. Because if you don't, what's gonna happen is you're gonna be resentful, you're not gonna know why, and then you're gonna project it on your husband who doesn't deserve it. Absolutely, that's amazing. So you were able to develop the inner voice that creates that identity that fills the empty void rather than before where I'm sure like I have those conversations too so I'm sure before it was like I want fish I don't feel like going I don't want to go maybe I'll call my husband and complain and tell him that I want fish and I don't feel like going and maybe I'll ask him to go and maybe I mean my gosh like the list of things that you'd circle around before you meet in the middle and just go and get fish is huge and now you're learning to do that because you just should do that for yourself you should nurture yourself and take yourself seriously yeah so what for me i got to sorry go ahead you're good go ahead uh so for me that's how i think i got to like know myself is by doing those things for me and realizing like wow i can do so many things in a day i could run a business i could go to the gym i could take care of things at home i can go to the store and buy fish and make an amazing dinner you know like i give myself the opportunities to learn about myself absolutely that's awesome So when I told you that you should take yourself seriously, and this is just like a thought that just is kind of coming through my mind. I've said that before, and it is a difficult thing for people to wrap their minds around. When I said it to you, it made sense to you. What, why does it make sense? What does it mean to you to take yourself seriously? And why is that not an insult? Yeah, I didn't find it to be an insult at all. Um, I've spent my entire life taking care of other people, like putting everybody else's need before my own. So for me, what that meant is treat yourself the way you treat everybody else. Take yourself as seriously as you took your mom when, uh, you know, you were trying to help her recover from her alcoholism. Yeah. You know, take yourself as seriously. Do the things that you would do for your husband for yourself. Go buy yourself fish. Put your clothes away. My husband's closet is color coordinated and organized by type and my clothes all over the place. Not today, but around the time that I met you. Right. I mean, I would spend hours making sure his stuff was organized and my stuff would be a disaster all over the place. Yep. Yep. So practically acting like an adult 35 year old woman, I am, um, 
that's taking myself seriously. And it, it was everything. Yeah, absolutely. It is everything when you take yourself seriously, when you do the right things the right way, not because you just, you know, you're just 35 and you do the right things the right way because you are a woman in the world, a person in the world who deserves to nurture themselves. You deserve to have all the things that you're giving your husband. And I, you know, I definitely went through that as well because same thing, I would do everything for my son everything for my husband and then my like the clothes is a great example i would fold their clothes and then i would take my clothes and shove them in the drawers and like try to get them to be shut because by the time well i mean really it was like in part laziness it was in part i was a child in an adult woman's body and that's what a lot of bpd is right if there are people out there listening i'm sure you can think to back to the age that you were when all this began, when you realized all of the pain that was going on around you, all of the trauma that you were perceiving. Was it nine years old, 10, 11, 12? You know, like what age was that for you? You're stuck there. And so part of identity yeah. development is learning to nurture yourself, to take yourself seriously. You can't, you're, you're that old person, like the person Sabrina was, can no longer exist, right? Like you can't wake up tomorrow and organize your husband's closet and then throw your clothes on the floor because that would be the old you. No way. I would I would never. <laughs> and it's only been a few months of living this way. And this is what's so unbelievable about recovery and what has just blown my mind in working with you is that like when you commit, it happens so fast. Because you do tran- transform and there's no going back. There's no, there's no, someone asked me yesterday, they were like, do an episode on what happens if you relapse. And they're like, you had to have relapse. And I was like, you know what? No. And, you know, I'm going to have to go and check in with everybody that I've worked with. That's on my list of things to do this week. Because my answer to that is there's no way that I would ever relapse because I would never want to walk the path back to the person that I was because there is a death that happens. You are not the same person. Do you have like ebbs and flows and ups and downs? Of course, everybody does. But I never have a moment where I wake up and I look at myself and I'm like, I'm going to cut myself today like I did when I was a kid. Right. Right. What do you think about that relapse? Yeah, that's, that's been my experience also. Um, something that I really struggled with were these like feelings of embarrassment. So when you talk about the, the moment when you realize like, oh my God, I am an adult woman, but I'm acting like a child. Like I'm not taking care of myself. For me, that was really embarrassing. I mean, truly, yeah. like I would cry about it. Yeah, I would just feel so uncomfortable in my own skin all the time because it's like, but look around, like I... I'm this professional woman, right? I come off so confident. And then it's like, at the same time, I'm a child. Like it's, you don't want people to see that, especially me when I was always the one who held it together for my family. I had to hold it together, but now I'm in this safe relationship and I trust that he's going to be there and help me. And I'm working with you and you're helping me realize that like, these are very common things that happen with BPD and you really help to take the edge off edge off when I'm listening to your podcast and we were feeling the same things. Like I don't feel so isolated and alone because somebody is literally taking the words out of my mouth. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I appreciate your saying that because that's something that's really important to me that when I'm sharing that part of me, I have to be really vulnerable to do that. And it's just important that, you know, I know that I'm able to connect with people. That's awesome. You know, but you did the work and, you know, part of recovery, like Sabrina said, is commitment. You commit and you don't look back. The people that I work with that are successful, they commit and they don't look back. They commit and they understand that, that like they're defiant in by nature because you're a child, you're of course you're gonna be defiant. So, you know, Sabrina, you might not have liked some of the stuff I said, I'm sure some of the stuff I said, remember when we had your husband in session and he was saying that you engage in like unsafe behavior and that he's scared you're gonna hurt yourself while you're like cooking yeah. and cutting vegetables? Yeah. You wanna t- talk a little yeah. bit about that? That one hurt. Yeah. Yeah, so we, 
we brought my husband in to just kind of, from his perspective, see how he was, um, see how he saw my, um, my recovery going. And you really wanted to hear from him what he thought I needed to work on. Right. And he told you about how reckless I am, like in the kitchen. Um, I cut myself, burn myself. I just like, I, I act like a child in the kitchen. If I'm not hyper-focused on what I'm doing, I act like a kid. And you said to me, you, you, I think you actually said to him, you said, she's not being a good partner to you when she does that. Yeah. And that like gutted me because nobody wants to hear that, especially after everything I put him through. I don't want to hear that I'm not a good partner, but I needed to hear it because as soon as you told me that I started acting like a good partner that drove me. Yeah, absolutely. In the, if you're out there listening, you don't understand why I would have said something like that. I'm just going to lay it out for you. If you engage in dangerous behaviors, and I think Jay and I talked about this one time, if you engage in dangerous behaviors and you're in a partnership with someone, you cut yourself or burn yourself while you're cooking, you're lacking empathy for your partner because you're not understanding that they worry about you. So anytime you're doing anything, like what if you drive too fast or if you you know, get drunk, too drunk with your friends and you don't come home or whatever like your reckless behavior is, they are actually worried about you. You might not know what unconditional love and unconditional support is, but they sure as heck do. And they're sitting there waiting for you to hurt yourself and they love you and there's nothing they can do about it. That's why I said that Sabrina wasn't being a good partner because he was concerned about her. He was legitimately concerned about her life, her safety. He thought one day he was going to come home and she'd be so hurt that she wouldn't be alive or he'd have to take her to the hospital, right? Or I'd burn the house down. Right, or you'd burn the house down. All valid concerns. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. And what's so interesting to me is me as a BPD person, I always fancy myself an empath. Like, oh, I could sense what people are feeling and I feel everybody's pain. It's like, well, I wasn't feeling that he was genuinely concerned about me. I would kind of just like roll my eyes like, okay, fine, whatever. It'll be fine because I wasn't taking myself seriously. Absolutely. That is one of the biggest, you know, people say to me all the time. I am empathetic. I am. Well, you're not. If you split on people and then you tell me (laughs) you're an empathetic person. Well, look, it's not true. It's not true. And that's an example of why. And I think yeah. some of the things that we go through are subtle because we are, there is an element of like, if you look at empath, we are very perceptive. We are very emotional. We are very, all of those things. But if you can't see how your behavior impacts the people who you say you love, then you lack empathy. You can't put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. So how have you began to develop empathy since learning that? Since learning that he was worried about you? It's kind of like this like cyclical process. It's like, I'm very aware of wanting to be a good partner. So that means that I pause, which is a skill that you taught me. Pause. It's very important. Pause before you speak. Pause before you, you know, start cooking dinner or in between the steps. Just take a minute to do that. The more I do that, the more I learn about myself kind of hard to explain but like in those moments when I'm alone with myself and I realize like I'm doing it I talk to myself all day long like I'm doing it this is doing it Sabrina this is recovering like you are growing as a person you're being a better partner and then that fuels more awareness which then fuels better decisions and that's why again talking about transformation there's no going back right because you're you're learning you're relearning how to grow up you're growing up period yeah. that's what it is right yeah yeah Yeah, you mentioned splitting before, Mm -hmm. and um, I I didn't mention that when you asked, like, what my BPD looked like, and splitting was a huge thing for me, you know, like, this all-or-nothing thinking, like, I would say to him all the time, like, this is never going to get better, you know, a stupid problem, you know, like, the heat broke, and, like, we're never going to have heat again, but, like, genuinely feeling that, yeah, or, like, one minute thinking that he's a God. And then the next minute, like hating him with all of my being because he did something to upset me, you know, like that was really scary for me. And I have to say, as soon as I started working with you, the splitting stopped. And I don't know what one specific thing it was, but I don't do that and can't imagine myself ever doing that again because your brain just doesn't operate that way. 
Yeah. Well, you're learning now what love is, you know, our brains, the neuro neuroplasticity is a big deal, right? So I'm teaching you or I taught you, you know, that what unconditional love is, what happened when you were growing up. I mean, look at all those amazing connections you made. And then we started working on how can you become this person that you really always knew you were because you always knew that you were a good person, obviously. And I think that we all are. You know, having borderline personality yeah. disorder, having the disorder is very difficult because you're splitting and you're doing all the all or nothing and you're pushing people away. But having a personality that is hyperbolic isn't such a bad thing. You have a business. I have a business. I'm sure there, you're out there listening. If you don't have a business or you're not doing what you should be doing, you can be because you're the most passionate person you've ever met. So if you're not using that, you know, to fuel your life in a positive direction, I mean, start there. But identity development is such a big part of this. And, you know, somebody reached out to us and they were frustrated and they were like, you never, you know, you guys didn't tell us how to develop an identity because you need to kill the old you and you need to start becoming a new person. You need to look at yourself, take yourself seriously, right? And that's exactly what you did. The commitment is important, though. Because you also, yeah. if you were standing on a cliff with me and I said, Sabrina, I need you to jump off this cliff and I need you to free fall and trust that what I'm telling you is correct. That is what you did, right? Yep. 100%. I had no choice. I, I wanted to recover so badly. I didn't want to suffer anymore. I knew that there was something wrong and I found someone who told me exactly what was wrong. I was being a tyrant. I have a hyperbolic temperament. I'm acting like a child. Okay, great. Tell me how to fix these things. And that's how you develop an identity is like overcoming all of this adversity. I don't know if it's because I am a BPD person, but I don't think I'm ever going to be able to give you like a packaged, Hey, this is who I am. That, you know, who are you? Like that idea stresses me out. I don't want to commit to something all i know is that like i am a fighter like i am strong and brave and i win no matter what i do like i will struggle through it and i will be crazy and it will not be pretty but i will always win yeah and that's the that's passion. my identity absolutely well that is an identity and you've committed to that so i'll take it you know uh, yeah <laughs> i'll take it and you know like you are learning we talked about this when before we started recording but you're learning to have a strong character right you're learning yeah. strength mm-hmm. of character and that's something that is just so so i could never do this if i didn't have strength of character never because the amount of adversity that i experienced from just saying things like take yourself seriously or do this or do that is a lot but it's okay because i have strength of character and i'm a fighter too and i'm passionate too and you know that now becomes the identity there is no bpd right i wouldn't even like at you're at this point where it's been several months only several months but several months you don't meet criteria for a diagnosis anymore are you still passionate and hyper are you still a hyperbole sometimes you have funny conversations in your head Yes. Yes. But it just makes things interesting. I think it makes me a more interesting person. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. We're great people. You know, like I think that's why. Yeah. Now do you understand why I laugh so much since you can see the other side? Yes. You taught me that. I asked you once, what's it going to be like when I'm better? And you said, it's going to be fun. It's going to be light. It's just fun. (laughs) There's no heaviness. You're just happy. And that's exactly right. It's just happy. There's no, there's no darkness. There's not that feeling that like in your chest, that like heaviness and it's just gone. And it's incredible. You'll appreciate this last night. I was laughing at myself, which is a new skill I've picked up about how I would get jealous. My husband likes to play video games. And in this one video game, he like has a wife (laughs) and that really upset me <laughs> like a lot. And I tried like, <laughs> That's I really tried to like play cool, but you know what I was thinking in my brain. Oh yeah, absolutely. The so last night we were thinking like, Hey, do you remember when I got jealous of your internet girl for your video girlfriend, Janasa? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Did you, did he laugh too? Yeah. 
<clears throat> oh yeah he was like oh I, it was so obvious Sabrina it was so obvious that you were jealous you just tried to play it cool but I saw you <laughs> <laughs> I saw you I knew it that's great oh my gosh it's so honest and hilarious absolutely I would be jealous of anything that took his attention Miles's attention away from me anything even going yeah. to work if he were if he was working he did this he did this um CMC you know one of those like races where you have to you know be fit and strong one of those like mud races kind of thing like a spartan yeah <laughs> and i was jealous that he was going to be with these other people doing this race so i made signs and brought my son who was three and we followed him through this mountainous course in the poconos just so that i could see him <laughs> it's just you have eyes on him exactly <laughs> Exactly. I was going to be the girl. I was like going to be the one. like raging the whole time. That's right. And we had t-shirts that said his name on it. We were dating for like a couple months at this time. I mean, <laughs> like Amazing. this three-year-old little stories boy. Now. It's hilarious. Absolutely. You know, I could feel shame about it, but I just, why? Why would I feel shame? I'm not that person yeah. anymore. My identity does not lay in that person. Your identity is not that person anymore. You're not her. Yeah. And you could choose nope. to go back there. That would be relapse. But why on earth would you? Yeah. Like you and you said it. So choice. That's another big theme. Like there was a point in time where I just had to choose and this is something I, I got from spirituality. You have to choose to be better. Like if if you don't want to be better, that's okay. But like you have to know that it is a choice. Absolutely. It's like you want to lose weight, but you want to eat snacks. Me being like I was a chubby girl my whole life. I really liked eating snacks. I wanted to eat the snacks more than I wanted to lose weight because I always chose snacks. Absolutely. And it's the same thing with this. Like you could choose to get offended, which I spend a lot of time being offended, but you could choose to be offended and choose to stay mad because that's what you're used to. That's familiar. Or you could choose as simple as that to be better. And that really frustrates people when I talk about that, I think, because it's 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 easy. Right. It's hard to do, but the, the answer is easy. The answer is easy. But people with all kinds of problems, not just BPD, like to run around the problem and run around it and run around it. Yeah. Instead of just doing the hard yeah. work, it's like, do you want that temporary pain for the long-term gain? And that is exactly what you did. And when I tell you guys, yep. Sabrina leaped, she leaped. That's how you do it. You leaped. I think that that's the one thing that really stands out with your journey is that you jumped right off that cliff. And that's why you didn't even, I mean, you didn't work with me for that long. You did like the whole 12 sessions, I think, package, right? I did five sessions. Five sessions. Okay. There we go. Look, my math is yeah. way off there. So that's it. And you just committed <laughs> and leaped and you did it. But you worked so yeah. hard in between those sessions. Yep. Yeah, I really did. I and I remember asking you, like, am I doing it? Is this recovery? And you said, yes, this is recovery. This is it. And this is how you know you are doing it. And yeah, I haven't gone back. And like we said, there is no going back. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, Sabrina does eat healthy. She has a nutrition coach. She does have her husband's also a personal trainer, interestingly enough. So she does exercise because the recovery is not just the mindset stuff. It's also, you know, physical. So you need the nutrition and you need the exercise. I know everybody listening out there don't like exercise. Yeah. You know, so what? You need to go exercise. You don't have to get Rolling in Rolling the their eyes. That's right. You don't have to get in the gym. And yeah. no, exercise is not going to cure all of your problems. But you have a whole body that is both physical, spiritual, and mental. And if you just treat one part of it, you're neglecting your whole self. And if you're stuck between the ages of nine and like 15, then you have a lot of catching up to do. Your body, your mind, your spirit. So leaping off of that, tell us what your spirituality looks like, please. Okay, spirituality. So for me, it started with meditation and mindfulness. I have always had an anxious mind. I lived in a state of panic. I mean, as a child, my life was chaos. Everything was panic. Everything was tragedy, just waiting to happen. So as an adult, when, you know, none of those things are happening, when like there is actual peace, my mind was still going. It was looking for problems and I needed a way to calm it down. And I found meditation. 
And meditation and exercise to me are in the same category because I would roll my eyes at it. Like exercise is for other people. Meditation is for other people. It's like as if the rules of science don't apply to me. Like I'm not special that science doesn't apply to me. It's but the, meditation. It's the defiance. <laughs> That's right. Keep going. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So meditation, it started in that same way. It's like, okay, I wanted, I wanted to be that girl who meditated. Like I wanted to be like, I wanted to have that vibe about me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I, it was genuine. Like I read a lot about it and believed that it would help. Maybe not me, but I believe that it could help. But anyway, so I started to meditate and it was not an easy process. I would start and do like two minute meditations and my mind would just be all over the place. But over time, that is the one tangible skill that allows me to separate out that crazy BPD brain of like jumbled crazy thoughts and emotions. If you're able to meditate and learn that practice of quieting your mind, which takes years, it, it, it works. You're able to just calm and quiet your mind. And for people like us, that's everything because our mind never shuts up. Yep. Yep. And if you can learn how to calm and quiet it and you can learn how to have the pause, then you can learn how to take information that you need and bounce that back and forth rather than taking all of the stuff that's going on in your head and trying to attend to all of it and then freaking out. Right. Yep. Yeah. Totally. And you know, like cool, fun things like, I like to like do things around the lunar, lunar cycle. So during new moons, I like to manifest. I'm really into that, like aligning energies and bringing into your awareness the things that you want to cultivate in your life. And even if you think it's nonsense, whatever, that's fine. But the practice of just like being happy and mindful and thinking of good things, you can't knock that. Nope. Right? Yeah. So maybe it's not going to be like a magic wand and you're going to get everything you want. But in those moments, like you're taking time for yourself and really thinking about where you want to be, how you want to feel. Like those are all great. That's a great way to spend your time. And the same thing, full moon. A full moon is tonight. So it's a great time to like write down all the things that you want to get rid of and go outside and burn it. And you could get fun and crazy with it and make a little seance like there's so many fun things that you could do to help heal yourself so for me I just made it my own and um yeah it th that's really been um a huge part of my yeah but it's also connecting you as well as exercise yeah it's yeah. it's connecting you so you talked about how like it's fun to be positive and grateful and how is that not you know, how is that a bad thing? It's not, but it connects you to this bigger purpose, right? That's why I'm really glad that you yeah. talked about that because, you know, like I had, I talked about my bigger purpose, which I believe that there's a creator. You believe that there's a universe and you're looking towards the moon. Like there's just something powerful about looking outside of yourself and going, yeah, there's a bigger yeah. universe out there, you know, and to make that practice your own. That's a great idea. Tonight's a new moon. So, I mean, you're, unfortunately, they're not going to get this until Wednesday, but... You could do this for the next full moon. Do you know when the next one That's is? okay. The, the new moon cycle will be in two weeks. So, two weeks. Yeah. Okay. That's a great idea. Yeah. All right. So thank you for sharing that. And you can talk a little bit about exercise and nutrition. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah, you read my mind because I really wanted to talk about exercise. So like I said, I was most of my life just a girl who, you know, was chunky. I... I wasn't like super, super overweight, but I just, I looked like someone who didn't take care of themselves because I didn't, I smoked, I ate like crap all the time. Like my diet was carbs and fat yeah. and yeah, I drank. Um, I also quit drinking, um, around the time I got married. So five or six years ago, which was a very important part of my recovery. I never had a problem, but you know, cutting toxins out of your life is always a good thing. Yeah. Anyway, on exercise, um, I always had such a resistance to it, probably because I would self-sabotage myself in any way possible, exercises for other people, but I knew that I wanted a fit body. And I'm going to be honest, like that was my, my sole motivation. I just wanted to physically look good. It wasn't until years in where I realized like, okay, the body's nice, but like everything else is really now what I'm living for. So if anybody has rage issues, I highly recommend heavy lifting. That's what I did. I deadlift heavy, 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 heavy weights. I bench press. I don't squat very much because I don't have good form, but 
anything that allows me to like channel that rage and get it out, it, it was everything for me. And another great part of heavy lifting is you're exhausted after. So you don't have t- time, like you don't have the energy to come home and freak out on your partner or to, you know, have a tantrum because you're just so beat from, from the exercise. Yeah. Absolutely. So, what was that? I just said, absolutely. It's so true. Like that's something I say all the time, all the time. You cannot have a tantrum if you're physically tired. You, you cannot have both of your, those systems activated at once, the physical system and the emotional system. It is literally biologically impossible. If you haven't tried exercise, you go, oh, that's not for me. I mean, well then, I'm sorry, but you know, you're not gonna be able to get yeah. yourself out of it. You do need exercise. No, not because my husband's a personal trainer. Not because Sabrina's husband's a personal trainer. Because you literally need to move your body. We are hyperbolic, so we have a lot of energy and intensity. Yes. How else are you going to get that out? Get it out on the bar. Yeah. And when you start, it sucks. Like, it was not a pleasant experience for me or my husband. I mean, it was a few years in until I was able to, like, go to the gym and not complain about it or cry about it. I would be on walks with my husband crying complaining. I'm not losing weight. I'm still fat. Like all of these horrible, ridiculous things. I was resistant the entire time. So like, if you go to the gym and it doesn't feel good, like it's not going to feel good. It's going to suck. But eventually just like this, just with your BPD work, eventually it will get better and there's no turning back. That's right. Yep. hundred percent. It's making me laugh. Cause I just did, <clears throat> I redid the 10,000 kettlebell swings program Today was my last day. So in my lifetime, I've now done 20,000 kettlebell swings. Yeah, I did it. I finished today. 53 pounds. Congratulations. Thank you. I was so stoked. I didn't remember how hard it was. I did it for like research because I'm trying to get people in the Facebook group to do it too. And like letting people know that doing something difficult that also ties in exercise is a good idea. So I did it in like some point in the middle when my hands were bleeding because of the swings, you know, you learn, you get your grip. Some point in the middle, I was just crying. And like my husband and son decided to do it with me. So I'm like trying not to show it. I'm just crying. And I realized I was, I was ovulating because that's a thing for me. And I also just didn't want to do it. So I was just having this tantrum. I tantrum through 53 pounds, 500 swings, and like four or 30 like squat, weighted squats. It was hilarious. It was like, okay. But at least I did it and I was tired over it, it. But it's just so funny. Like we sometimes you're going to have weird reactions. To me, that is a hyperbolic reaction to a simple thing that I chose to do. No one was standing there with a gun to my head saying do these swings, but I acted that way. That's like my hyper my hyperbolic temperament. Anyway, I just thought that was funny because yeah. you talked about your husband and how you're like crying and walking. Yeah. <laughs> like, as if he's like, you so need annoying. to walk right now because I told you, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, ridiculous. That's a trip. So what would happen if you gave up exercise? Oh, I'm just not okay. I mean, exercise and sleep are the same thing for me. So sleep is another huge thing. I didn't want to accept this, but it's just who I am. I am a person, I need eight hours of sleep, period. Mm. Like I need sleep and I was in denial about it for a long time and I tried to fight against it, of course, because like nobody wants to go to bed at 10 o'clock or nine o'clock, I mean, I do, but you wanna like stay up and you wanna be able to be flexible and you know, not live to this routine every day. But sleep is super important. It's just as important as exercise. So like the feeling that I get from exercise, I, I, I need that every day. I mean, it really is, it's an addiction and it's a yeah. good addiction. Um, and I also need sleep. So yeah, yeah, those, those two things are super important. And you talk about that so much in your podcast. I do. I do talk about it a lot. And I, you know, I, I think it's so, it's just so important, you know, and I was doing those swings, you know, on days that weren't the day I told you about, I was, it's really powerful. You know, and I did that as part of like, this reinforcing in my head because I've had so many people scoff at me, laugh at me, tell me they're never going to exercise, tell me no. And so I was like, I'm writing this workbook. I need to believe in what I'm telling people. I'm going to do this 10,000 swing program again. And I'm telling you, I was calmer. 
I'm calmer, I'm stronger, I'm happier. Things don't bother me as much. Everything's chill. Yeah. I mean, I was that way before. Yeah. So just imagine now, like after doing the swings again, I just feel so good. You know, I just feel so great. Yeah. And how could you just not want to feel good? You know, and I know 10,000 kettlebell swings is a bit much, but like, <laughs> you don't have to do 10,000 kettlebell swings. You don't have to go and lift weight either if that's not what you're into, like Sabrina was saying, but walk. <laughs> Get Yeah, off. find what's right for you. Yes, right. Exactly. Find what's right for you in a nicer way, for sure. I mean, the, the food bit is very important too. So you, I know you do you are an Italian like me, so we're bread lovers. So what is healthy eating like for you? And then we'll wrap up. Yeah. So my husband taught me how to eat. I never knew how to eat balanced. So, you know, protein, fat, and carb in every meal is what I stick to and what I have stick to for the past five years. And it's what works. It's what keeps me full. It fuels my workout. And you can get so creative. Like, with having a protein, a fat and a carb in every meal. So yeah. I'm able to channel like my inner ch- chunky girl who likes to eat lots of delicious things all the time, but also be really healthy. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, I don't think that it's difficult. I've never had a hard time, um, coming up with healthy, healthy meals. Awesome. What if you never ate healthy? Do you think it would impact your mood? Uh, oh Yeah. Um, definitely when, so even like, you know, Thanksgiving, of course, like I ate whatever I wanted for three days and, you know, didn't go to the gym. And it's funny because every year that amount of time gets less and less. So like last year it was like a week where I ate whatever I wanted, like pie for breakfast, six meals a day, you know, stuffing at one in the morning to this year where it was like, all right, I ate bad on Thanksgiving and then. Uh, the day after I just had some pie and on day three, it's like, I literally don't want this stuff anymore. Like I feel gross. I want to go to the gym. And it's the same thing with working out. Like you will just, you'll feel the feeling and then you'll want more of it, but you have to like allow yourself to feel the feeling by eating healthy every once in a while. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. You're feel, you'll feel the feeling and you'll want more of it. That's the same thing with recovery. Same thing, right? You felt the feeling of the mindset and you want more of it. So if you give yourself a chance and you trust yourself enough to do it, things will get better. Awesome. All right. So if you could give the audience one piece of advice, what would it be? So my guess is that some of your audience has the same inner voice that I had when, you know, even in the throes of like a BPD tantrum, when you're just completely out of control. You you cannot contain your emotions and your rage and your sadness and all of those feelings. There's still like that voice inside that you just, you know that this isn't right, that you're not acting the way you should be acting, that there's something wrong. For me, that was the voice that, that drove me. And if you have that voice, like that's the voice you want to nurture I think I said this a few times, like I literally talk to myself all day long. We're going to do this now. We're going to do this because we're an adult and we're going to take ourselves seriously. And it sounds silly, but that's the voice. That's like the, the child in us that was never coached, never loved. Like you have to nurture that voice. So that becomes your dominant voice. So that's the one on a day-to-day basis that's making good decisions for you. Yeah. So yeah, that's my advice. My advice: listen to that that inner voice inside. I love that so much. I think we have it. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Sabrina. Thank you, Rose. This was literally a dream. I always, when I was listening to your podcast, like early on before I even started working with you, I said to myself, "I'm going to get on this podcast one day." I don't know how, but I'm going to get on this podcast. So this was really cool for me. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm so happy to have you. I'm so happy for you. Thank you for listening to me and trusting the process. And I'm so proud of you. Good job. Seriously. Thank you. And you're amazing. You literally saved me. So thank you. Aw, thank you so much. All right, Serena, we'll have you back on soon. Sounds great. I hope you were just as inspired by Sabrina's story as I am. I just want to make an announcement that in January, I am going to be hosting groups. There will be groups at different times throughout the day to accommodate international and national clients. The groups will be coaching in nature, 
So if you are ready to take that next step in your recovery journey and you want to be in a group setting, please reach out to me at rose at thriveonlinecounseling.com. By the end of this weekend, you will be able to go onto the website and purchase the group so that you can reserve your spot. In addition, by the end of this weekend, you will also be able to purchase some merchandise, a cool hoodie, a t-shirt, or just something to remind yourself that there are more people than you out there on this recovery journey, that you are not alone, and that you can do it. Again, if you have any questions, just give me an email at rose at thriveonlinecounseling.com or give me a call at 844-984-7483. Thanks so much. Until next week. Okay, thanks for listening. That was from Borderline and Beautiful, a production of Thrive Mind Body LLC, online coaching that helps frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or any app that you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from the last episodes, and I'd love to hear whatever questions you have, too. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. We'll have all those links in the show description. Okay, we made it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Rose Skeeters, and I'll be back next week with another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Talk to you then.